is Angela, and this is the Homestead Education Podcast, where we talk all things homesteading, and we want to share our passion and experience for this lifestyle with you. This episode of the podcast is proudly sponsored by Manapro Homestead. Animals are an important part of our lives. That's why we help them grow and thrive, treating them as well as they treat us to make their lives as best as they can be. Manapro, nurturing life. Visit manapro.com and follow us at Manapro Homestead. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Homestead Education Podcast. Mandy and I are here today to chat all things geese with you. If you remember from season one, we kind of touched on different poultry options that you can bring to your homestead portfolio, and they all have different needs. They are all different species. They are not interchangeable. While they can be housed together, they do have specific nutritional requirements, housing requirements, maybe during certain times of the year. And so today we're going to focus on the first of the backyard poultry species, which are geese. Hey, Mandy. Hi, how are you? Good. How are you? Gosh, doing so good. So do you get asked as often as I do about introducing geese to the farm? Yes. And or why? (laughs) Why do you have so many geese? You know, those are the very common questions. How do you bring geese home? Um, No pun intended to your homestead and or what is their purpose and and why? And I think that, um, you know, for lack of better explanation, we'll kind of debunk a few things today, but geese are my favorite. I mean, I feel like we could talk about them for a very, very long time. People have have some, um, you know, a a very misunderstanding of geese as a whole, I think. You know, everybody has like this horror story of them being on their, you know, grandparents' farm or at some public park or something like that. And the Canadian geese or, you know, some wild goose here, it's Canadian geese. I mean, like you should see my parents' house. They have, I think, no kidding, 5,000 in their backyard right now because it's my it's migrating season. It's not a joke. I can I can get a picture for you, Bob. Bob will send a picture. It's oh terrible. God. That's um, intense. Right. But everybody has like the horror story of the, the goose chasing them. Dude, uh, I have that horror story. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, we could talk to Casey about Greg, but I don't have any... I don't have any horror stories. My experience with geese has just been like rainbows and butterflies. Um, Because, correct me if I'm wrong, you started off with the right breed. Yes, and raised them as goslings. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that this is... This is where we should start, is sort of breeds to consider, right? Because I, as a goose owner started with a more, um, I don't want to say aggressive, but just a little bit more intense of a breed. I didn't sort of go for the more docile to begin with. And I have those horror stories. My kids have those horror stories. And thankfully I didn't throw in the towel. I just rehomed those and got something that was a better fit for us. And now again, rainbows and butterflies. So let's just start with let's we'll jump into breeds in a second let's start with basic vocab for those that are so new to the goose game um well I think that the biggest thing to know is gander 
as mm-hmm. your male. So you have, well, I guess even backing up, you have goslings, just like you have chicks to a chicken or a hen or a rooster, right? Um, so you have goslings, that's across the board. Um, and then when they're adults, uh, gander um, for the male. Uh, and then the female adults, goose or hen. Um, if you're like me, I just call all of them goosers. And, uh, but that, that is, I mean, that's pretty much the, the verbiage across the board. And it's important to note that you need a proper ratio. We can mm-hmm. touch on this again as we go through this chat, but you wouldn't want to go just get two uh, male goslings. Right. Um, that's going to set you up for some issues. When you're looking at bringing in birds of this particular species, what you're striving to get is a pair, a male or a female. You could even do two females. Or if you're looking to have sort of a little flock, a little gaggle of geese, you want no less than um, four or five females per male. You can have more males in that little handful of geese. You're just going to run into a little bit more of a problem with aggression when it comes to breeding season. And I think that maybe it's worth telling folks or sharing or reminding if you've forgotten Geese are only fertile for a small portion of the year. So we think of chickens and ducks and they lay throughout an entire year. You know, they might have a short off season in the, in the colder months. Geese have a very short, it's like the opposite. Um, towards the end of winter, early spring, that's the only time of the year they're fertile. And then they're off the rest of the year. Yeah, I mean, I think, and so this is pretty timely. I mean, when this when this episode, when this season comes out, it'll be springtime. It's pretty much when this is your chance. Um, you have had some eggs. You know, it, it's definitely regional, but most of us are going to be um, starting to find eggs in your, your nest box, if you will, um, here in a couple of weeks and it's it's the beginning of february right now we don't have any eggs yet we will typically start to get them by the end ish of february first of march so we have a boatload of goslings usually in the month of april okay and so we are a little bit warmer i'm in central new jersey mandy's in missouri we start about a month ahead every year it's like clockwork as soon as the days start to get a a little bit longer so we usually see the first eggs from seasoned layers. So not those those first newbie goslings just turning, coming into heat for the first time. Um, when it comes to recurring cycles, we see those geese starting to lay in January. Now, just like with chickens, ducks, any other poultry, as you raise them their first year, you might get some wonky laying that first season. So they, I've seen eggs come in as early as uh, December from females who were born and introduced to the farm in March or April. So it can be earlier. It can be later. Just keep in mind, just like any other um, bird species that you bring to the farm, you are going to see some variability when it comes to the first season of laying. But traditionally speaking, you'll see it at the end of winter, very early spring. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely none of this is across the board. Um, Mm But, and, and, and you, you mentioned wonky laying. I spoke with somebody yesterday who, um, is it's first year for her geese, um, to be laying. And she is also raising Sebastopol's and, um, I know best, best breed. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And the first time one of her hen laid, they laid in a pool. So she was like, is this normal? And I'm like, yeah, they, you know, it kind of just, it's kind of like how you'll have chickens. We keep referencing chickens, but um, I mean, that's usually where folks are starting. Sometimes you'll go out in the spring and if it's the, you know, your pullets are laying for the first time, you'll just find an egg like dropped by the feeder or the water. And you're like, what is this doing here? And they just, it just takes them a second to kind of figure it out. Um, But yes, seasonal layers. Um, and so now is kind of like peak time and they're hard to get. Mm-hmm. I think it's becoming increasingly more hard, I think, because I do, I do personally believe, and again, huge goose fan, but I believe that they're becoming more prevalent on small farms and homesteads. I mean, if you look at certain, you know, I say certain, but most hatcheries right now, you're, you're out of luck. Um, unless you are, you know, kind of one of the first few people to reserve those goslings to come mail order that you're, you're going to have to find them locally. Yeah. I've even started breeding myself because we do keep Sebastopol's we'll touch on breeds. Like we mentioned before in a few minutes, but we, we started keeping Sebastopol's. They are a sort of a a well sought after breed nowadays, they didn't used to be. And Mm -hmm. I think that's due to a lot of different things. You know, since the pandemic, we've had a big up, up rise in the number of homesteaders. Um, You can probably contribute some of it to social media, but we sort of have seen this trend. uh, The last few seasons, you can't even really get things like Emden's or your more traditional geese so if you cannot find them at a hatchery you might want to look and contact a local breeder um let's let's jump into breeds let's talk about the different types yeah um well we both are obviously already mentioned we both raised Sebastopol so if for those who are not familiar, um, it's like the Cinderella-looking geese. They're, you know, beautiful and majestic. They're typically, typically, I say, all white. You can have some splash color variations, but usually, what you're seeing and what you're going to get from a hatchery, um, they're an all-white bird. Um, well, they're they're beautiful and yellow in their goslings, but they they grow up to be all-white bird with like curly feathers that touch the ground. Um, they have bright blue eyes. They are very docile. I would, I mean, I think that's kind of why I think they're very trendy because they're beautiful, but they're uh, for somebody who wants to start with geese, they're, pro- they're the, the, the breed I would definitely recommend, um, which is kind of a catch 22 because they're very, very hard to find. They're a threatened breed. Um, a lot of geese are, but Sebastopol's are, are definitely a threatened breed. And so hard to find yet the one that I would most recommend um, we really only notice them being loud and noisy during, um, breeding season. Um, so that's probably going to be the biggest one. And then a lot of folks will have dewlap, um, or large du- to loose dewlap geese. Also very, very hard to find. In my experience, they're not as hardy for us. Um, so the difference between those two, and gosh, I could really get into the weeds, is your your Tulusky's, your large dewlap Tulusky's. Um, they're they're pretty much the largest largest breeds you can find. Um, they have like the big, my mom calls them like the draggy belly geese, 
because it's like the best way to describe, I know, Bob, the best way to describe them because their bellies kind of drag on the ground. Um, you know, so they, a lot, lot of things, they have fertility issues and things like that, but they're, they're also very, very docile. Um, so another, another pretty popular, I don't know, what would you say is, is next popular? Emden maybe? Yeah. So I think Emden's tend to be the white sort of geese that you picture from like farm paintings or whatever. And yeah. these, these are usually the geese that people have horror stories about, myself included. And the reason is while they're not known to be particularly aggressive, um, they're going to be a little bit more active and territorial during, especially during breeding season, than your Sebastopol or your large dewlap Toulouse. The Sebastopols and the large dewlap Toulouse, circling back real quick, are at opposite ends of the spectrum. The, the Sebastopol is like one of the smaller goose breeds. And then you have the large dewlap Toulouse, which is absolutely massive. Um, Mandy and I both agree that these are excellent beginner breeds of geese because they are so docile. The smaller goose, the Sebastopol, I mean, it's just tiny and they're like not much bigger than a heavyweight duck, honestly. Right. Especially with all of those, if you were to remove all of those curly feathers, like the actual body of the goose is quite small. But then with the large dewlap to loose, honestly, they're so big and they're so concerned with eating all the time that they don't, they're slow and they just, they just don't do a whole lot. Um, but I think breed selection is really based on your intention. And I have a breed chart about different geese on my website. The reason I wanted to just kind of circle back and touch on that real quick is because different breeds of geese have different personalities or traits, characteristics, just like dogs. And so it kind of depends what you want them for. I would say the Sebastopol and the large Dulap Toulouse are great beginners and family friendly, barn cat friendly, other poultry friendly options. But if you want something that's a little more aggressive and territorial and going to ward off um, small predators a little bit more reliably or go after them a little more aggressively, you might look at something like an Emden yeah. or absolutely an African or a Chinese. Those are the ones, Africans and Chinese, that you see or picture. They have like the horn, it's like a dinosaur horn at the top of their <laughs> bill. And those are the ones that are a lot like swans in terms of behavior. They go after anything that's an unfamiliar intruder. Um, look at the breed chart because that's going to talk to you about what are your goals for the homestead? Are you looking at geese for eggs? Are you looking at them for breeding? Are you looking at them for meat? Are you wanting weeder geese? Are you wanting, we can touch on these a little bit more specifically in detail. But really, breed comes down to intention and yeah. why you're having them. Yeah. I mean, a lot of them are dual purpose, um, you know, and it kind of just is a good segue back, you know, circling back to the very first thing we touched on, you know, people are like, why do you have them? You know, it's not a very traditional bird to see on, you know, a farmer homestead. But I would argue that, I mean, these birds have been around forever. They were honestly like one of the very first uh, poultry species seen on farms. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's just, it, it, it's kind of cyclic, right? Things kind of go in waves. And I think that they're definitely coming back. Um we'll kind of touch on housing and things like that. You know, it's a, they're different than your 
chickens and smaller breed ducks because they do require more space and things like that. So I don't know if they kind of just went by the wayside because of that or, or what, but, um, yeah, I mean, multi-purpose. look at the breed chart because it is, if, if nothing else, they're just so joyful to watch. They, you know, they, they really do just like love life. You can just tell, <laughs> you can, you can just tell they just like have a zest for life. You know, I'll just watch them kind of just like walk around and mosey and pick at the grass and things like that. And, you know, they visit us in the garden and we'll, we'll touch on that too. So I'm getting, I'm really getting ahead of myself, but I, yeah, look at the breed chart. We'll put it in show notes. Angela did a really good job kind of like mapping it out for beginners or, you know, even if you want to bring new, new breeds in. Um, so, so check out that. Yeah. The, the way that's set up real quick, Mitty, I'm sorry to interrupt. The way it's set up is that you answer a series of yes or no questions. So it's like, okay, do you have kids? Are you looking for something as a guardian? Is noise an issue? Do you have neighbors? And you kind of go through this mind map, if you will, and answer these yes or no questions. And it will, this, this guide will take you through, all right, well, this is a breed that might work for that then. You know, we touched on the Emden. That's more aggressive. I'd say that's a more moderate level geese. Sebastopol, large, do have to lose being beginner. Then you, when you have your real territorial aggressive breeds, you're going to look at things like African, Chinese. Those are going to be ones that Quite honestly, I don't know anybody that handles those breeds regularly as in like they're holding it, they have it on their lap. Those are breeds that I think tends to be tend to be more hands off because they are more, I don't know, wild for lack of a better word. They're, they're not yeah. as domesticated. They're just like, the way I kind of describe them is just like they're loud, like actually literally loud and then kind of just like loud in their personalities. Um you know, a lot of people uh, don't want to breed geese. They could care less about, you know, the eggs. Although once you've had goose egg custard, I'm not sure why you would care less. I mean, you know, actually, Casey's going to correct me. You could, they could not care less. Yeah, I always mess that up. Um, but you you would prefer you would get those like more loud personality geese if you're if you're just looking for kind of quote unquote protection for smaller birds and all of these geese we should mention they'll do the job i mean it also is very interesting and you know if there's a hawk flying around the geese will alert the rest of the birds they kind of like turn their heads completely crooked and look up at the sky so they they do do a good job. And I think that that is kind of the main reason why a lot of folks are starting to bring them in first for that. Maybe a livestock guardian dog isn't on the table right now. They don't have, you know, the space or really kind of like the need for uh, a dog. And so that is, people ask all the time, I can't get a dog. Should I get geese? Absolutely. Should, should I get one? No, you should not get one. They're definitely a flock animal. So you should at least get two. Angela kind of touched on that in the beginning. Um, so yeah, I mean, should we kind of, we, we touch on it a little bit. Finding them is very, very hard. We can put in the show notes a few reputable um, hatcheries that will do mail order goslings. Um, but yeah, like Angela is hatching. I, I hatch, um, for Midwest folks and I hope I don't keep them all 
I hope that <laughs> to, to, to kind of get get give them away. <laughs> you know, it's hard when you can't find um, geese, and they they do become something you're kind of set on because it is hard to get goslings, and if they're sold out, then the the sort of um, default is well how about I hatch some eggs and you can absolutely order eggs from hatcheries I don't think we're really going to touch on the specifics of hatching today that's a different episode in itself but I will say your probability of being able to successfully hatch from bale order eggs just keep in mind that that's not a guarantee to begin with even if it's a freshly laid goose egg you go out to the farmyard you catch it or you grab it you put it in the incubator when you start doing things like rattling them around, no matter how securely they're packaged and putting them in the mail and, and that sort of thing, your fertility rate does go down, especially when you have low fertility rates to begin with from breeds like Sebastopol's. So that is an option, but just know that hatching is never a for sure. And what I'm getting at is if it is important to you to bring geese to the farm, act early. Don't wait until the end of the season. Even right. now it's, it's really too late. You would want to start. Even now. Yeah. Um, you would want to start ordering in December, November yeah, for the following absolutely. spring. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you're lucky enough <laughs> to have obtained some goslings or, you know, it's on the table and you are bringing some home. Um, they do have, uh, I'm jumping into nutrition and kind of just like every, you know, just everyday needs. What, what do they need? Right. Um, cause it is a little bit different if you've raised even ducklings, it's not as different. Um, but chicks, you know, Guinea fowl, quail, those types of things, um, much different, uh, specifically in their nutrition and you'll hear it everywhere. You know, you can go to your feed store, your local co-op, and there are so many different, you know, brands of, of, chicken food or poultry feed you can get all flock you can get you know like massive egg layer you know like special whatever you know all these feeds have different formulations when you are raising waterfowl specifically geese um for the first several weeks they need a feed that contains at least roughly about 22 percent protein so your all flock feed most of the time that's about an 18 16 to 18 ish percent protein not going to be acceptable for um early life uh for these goslings most the, the biggest thing to kind of know is they grow so fast and so we have to nutritionally support that growth um, otherwise that's when you're going to run into issues, um, like stunted growth and you're going to run into issues with their legs, sprout a leg and angel wing and things like that can be nutritional. Um, but another thing that is very important, if you don't take anything else away from this podcast is if you're bringing geese home, that their specific nutritional needs and also that they require niacin in their diet. So niacin to B vitamin um you will find it in specifically formulated foods sometimes um it just might not be enough um so you know you're gonna find it in like an off flock all flock feed but it's not gonna have enough niacin in it you can get food that is formulated for um ducklings and goslings and that would be appropriate but you can also just add brewer's yeast to their feed so this is just um this is where you're going to get a lot of leg issues and things like that because they grow so quickly. They just need that support. 
And I think that that's where a lot of folks kind of go wrong um, in the first weeks of life uh, is their nutrition or they just don't necessarily know how to support them. They're going to be eating a little bit more than obviously our chicks and things like that. Um, yeah. So uh, I guess it's, it's also very noteworthy that you cannot feed them medicated chick starter or anything like that. That would be a no-no. As they grow, and especially if they are um, able to have free range and open forage, um, when they are adults, you can cut back on that protein. In fact, you'd want to cut back on that protein. Too much protein as adults is also a bad thing. Um, I personally feed in my coop where my geese are housed with my ducks. Um, It's just the Purina brand duck feed. It's unmedicated. It's geared towards um, waterfowl. But when if the geese are free-ranging, the majority of their diet as adults is going to come from pasture. So they're going to find insects. They are omnivores. They love vegetation. They are eating grass. There's a reason that they're called weeder geese. When they're swimming, we have a stream. They're getting like little water bugs and even I've seen them eat minnows. Um, so the majority of the nutrition for an adult goose is going to come from free ranging if that's possible. If not, you're going to want to supplement. I supplement in the winter for both my ducks and my geese with that Purina duck feed. Um, I just want to make sure my bases are covered. There's nothing wrong with feeding brewer's yeast, niacin, if the food that you're feeding isn't already fortified with that. Um, but then also hay in the winter time, geese actually mm-hmm. really love hay. Yep. They are so happy to go. I will throw honestly a spare flake in the coop and the geese, they go nuts over it because it's like, it's, it's a boredom buster and they like that forage when the ground is frozen otherwise. Yeah. We did the exact same or like um, some just, yeah, some horse hay or just uh, even a flake of alfalfa or something like mm-hmm. that. I know people are probably like, Oh my gosh, you, throw away alfalfa but I mean yeah they need it I mean we don't see green grass for gosh four or five months and um when they are free ranging like Angela said that is a majority of their diet Mm -hmm. um you know another we can kind of circle back to why geese um a lot of people get them for weeding purposes now in my because we're always honest right in my personal opinion I don't necessarily think that they're gonna like trim around your trees to replace your weed eater. I mean, like we're not talking like that, but they will. Um, I know you, I, I saw your ducks in your garden, you know, the other day and we'll let ours, um, in and the geese. And if specifically also, if you have raised beds, they'll do a good job of just kind of like picking the grass around it. Um, they will, you know, somewhat, air quote, mow your lawn. Um, but for most of us where I have such a large area that you're not going to, you're not going to notice a dent. Um, so it's not going to, you know, replace your lawnmower. Um, but their diet is mostly forage. And I think that is another reason why they are so awesome because you can house them. Um, I'm not saying don't feed them, um, you know, a commercial feed, but they, <coughs> once they're adults, and if you live somewhere where there's pasture and forage, you know, a lot of the year, your your feed costs go way down. Yeah, I think it's because of their ability to find forage on their own is why they are sort of the quote-unquote revered permaculture uh, poultry stock, right? Because they're not only eating pasture, they're eating weeds, 
But then they are great choices for putting in orchards and vineyards because they eat fallen fruit. Um, they they are such a good choice for going around apple trees, pear trees, because all of that fallen fruit that might be a little bit mealy or have a few worms in there, they're going to eat that right up. Um, let's let's go a little bit deeper into some of the other reasons real quick, because we touched on it just very barely earlier, and I want to make sure that folks understand how how many stacked functions these animals have. They're not just for weeding and they're not just for orchard cleanup and garden cleanup. Um, we touched on eggs. Now go to the breed chart and you are gonna find that some layers, and again, they are seasonal. We're talking only a couple of months. Some are gonna provide more eggs than other, others. Breeds that offer 30 to 35 eggs a year, that's considered high. So just so you know, you're not looking at a chart and expecting to find 285 eggs on average per year for a goose. It's just not going to happen. It's not biologically possible, but you can get eggs. Obviously, meat uh, for people that are interested in harvesting their birds. There are specific breeds. The large dewlap toulouse is one of them. That's the foie gras uh, bird right there that, that is so, I don't know, sought after in yeah. different cultures, but there are meat breeds. Emdens are one of them. Okay. So you can have them out on pasture to weed and to clean up your garden or your yard all season and then harvest them in the fall when that yep. is no longer needed. What else do they do? Down, down feathers. I mean, we kind of talked about predator prevention, not necessarily prevention, but, or control, mm -hmm. but, um, I always like to mention companionship. I mean, like, I think that they, just their personality, they, not only to the human, but the other, you know, I guess barnyard members. So yeah, companionship, eggs, meat, weeding. Um, I mean, if you want to get down to it, you know, if you let them free range, just like basic fertilizer that goes for all, you know, any, your chicken, things like that, you know, your horse, your cow, whatever. Um, Let's also go down the road real quick if we have time before we talk about housing specifically, can we touch on the big function that people are so interested in, which is how do you introduce a guardian goose? Because yeah. people have chickens that are getting snatched up by hawks and fox. I think first and foremost, this is a goose. This is not a dog. It serves a purpose. They are loud. They will call at anything abnormal but they are not physically capable of holding their own against a coyote. So right. we do need to understand what we're asking versus the function of what they can actually physically do. Um, do you want to talk about how you introduced your geese to your existing flock? Yeah. I mean, I would, I mean, I would start as goslings, but for a multitude of reasons, right? I mean, when you are raising goslings, um, and especially if you have a, a family or, you know, we all have friends come over and things like that. So um, people are going to want to see the geese because they're so cool. Um, if you raise them as goslings um, and also at the same time you're introducing them to your existing flock, they're going to be just friendlier as a whole. So you hear... And this is kind of a little bit off topic, but kind of kind of flows in. You hear a lot. Uh, folks will say, uh, "You want we want the goslings to imprint on us," or you know, if you are hatching them or whatnot, versus them being broody and being raised by the quote unquote mother hen or mother goose. We can be that mother hen or mother goose, and uh, then they're just a little bit friendlier. It doesn't take away 
their protection control. Same thing with like your livestock guardian dog, just because you love that dog and treat it like a family member doesn't mean it's not going to do its job. They do know their purpose. Trust me. Um, so that, you know, twofold why I would start with the goslings. Um, and so you raise them same way, you know, in a brooder, give them their specific specific nutritional needs, things like that. And then when it's appropriate, if you, or, you know, kind of everybody's setup will be a little bit different, but always like to start with, um, like the look, don't touch, or, you know, can see, but can't physically get to one another method that holds true for, I believe any, any poultry, any animal that you're going to bring home, um, to an already existing population of animals. So, uh, just, I guess for visual, try to, uh, you know, visual example, we will, um, have the goslings once they're, you know, they're healthy, they're good. They have a good start to life. We'll move them outside once it's warm enough. They're still obviously very tiny. Um, and you can have them in like a big dog cage, or if you have a mobile coop or, you know, if your coop can be separated, um, kind of like Angela's or, you know, a lot of people have that ability or you can make makeshift something and have the geese on one side and everybody else on the other side. Um, and they stay that way for a couple weeks, at least I would say. And so, you know, everybody gets used to one another, their sounds, and then the geese are also, or the goslings are also getting used to where you're feeding them and where, you know, home base is. And then you can kind of just gradually let them out and commingle. Um, and most of the time it works very, very well. Um, it's never, there's a pecking order, uh, no pun intended, for every species of animal. And so even if you do everything right and you, you can, you know, kind of keep them separated and they've learned, you know, one another through the fence lines per se, they're, they're still going to have to establish, you know, who is boss. And that's, that's that. And usually once that happens, it's very mild. Um, you know, you should keep an eye on them for the first few days, but then they're good to go. And so doing this, you know, as you know, that method and as the goslings are growing into adults, they not only, like I said, know where home base is, where they're getting their food and their water, but they, at a very early age, have started to kind of see um, you know, the other flock members, most of the time it's chickens or ducks. It's a kind of the same, um, scenario situation as when you have a livestock guardian dog, um, you know, most of the time, 95% of the time they spend 95% of their time outside in a barn or some type of situation. Um, even from a very early age, they start to learn the routine, learn the animals, noises, sounds, what, what the other stock, um, what their, uh, routines are. Um, and so they kind of just, you know, become a very big blended family. They do. And the, even if you have your own flock of geese, I would say like, if you have a pair, they will tend to uh, stay with um, the ducks or the chickens or whatever your flock is made up of a little bit more. If you tend to have a handful of geese, more than two, they're going to kind of go off and maybe create their own little faction of, you know, their own little family, but they all come back together. Yeah. And just the presence of the geese alone, you know, there's a story from the Romans about how there's these Roman tufted geese and they were able to protect an entire, I don't know, like a Roman, maybe it was a temple or a castle or a fortress or something, because the geese detected that there were people approaching to attack this 
this fortress or whatever in the middle of the night and the geese detected it and they sounded their call because it's just their territory. So any, any intruder, person, animal or otherwise, they, geese don't have to be right alongside your other flock members constantly. It's just their presence. They know what is and isn't normal in their surroundings. Um, they do need to be housed though. They are not as big as some of your larger predators. So at night, I do bring mine in. Mandy brings hers in. We close them up. They are in the coop. They have access to the run during uh, breeding season. If they get territorial, they're partitioned off. But they do really need to be protected from large-scale predators at night. And then I think the other biggest thing we're commonly asked is about water. Do geese need water? They are waterfowl. That is the type of species they are. The Sebastopols specifically are the only breed of geese that I would capitalize the word need. They need water because they are very vain. They want to be bathing. <laughs> they, every feather has to be perfect. And then they got to parade around and show everyone their feather gown. I mean, they are the most vain poultry species I've ever seen, but they need it. You don't need a body of water for any goose but you'd at least need to give them a kiddie pool. Yeah, that's all right? we have. I mean, our situations yeah. are very different. You have a natural stream and it's beautiful and picturesque and um, obviously makes it, I mean, it's easier, right? But we don't, we do have a pond on our property, but it's in like the, all the way back and um, just kind of right now, not not feasible. Um, I didn't know that. You had a yeah. pond? We do. We have a pond and it's, um, yeah, we live on old farmland that used, they used to raise cattle here for like most of the Midwest. And, um, it's an old stock pond and it, I mean, it's, it's very big size. It's marshy and, but it's, um, it's far away from the coop number one. So we would have to have an additional, you know, like you said, they have to be housed. They need, they need somewhere to sleep at night, specifically with our winters, not, you know, not just for predator protection, but just for the, the weather, you know, inclement weather and things like that. You know, even in the summer, they need somewhere, you know, where they can get out of this, the hot, hot sun, but yes. So we don't have a body of water that a natural body of water. We just do kiddie pools mm -hmm. and, um, I mean, we've had the same ones for years, you know, if you take care of them, they last. So it's, it's you know, it's an, another expense, if you will, I guess. But uh, another reason, though, why they need they need water because they're so vain and, and they <laughs> but they need water uh, or at least buckets of water. Right. All waterfowl to in order to dunk their beaks um, to clear their nostrils. That's just um, we didn't talk about that. I don't want to assume that folks know, but that's just they need it for uh, their health. Um, you know, they they eat and they they eat and drink usually at the same time. So if they don't have water when they're eating their nostrils and they they can choke, basically, is the easiest way to describe it. So I assume folks are going to have a similar, more likely have a similar setup to you than they would to me where they have a kiddie pool. Can you talk about maintenance on that just real quick? Do you dump it yeah. every day? Do you have to dump it every day? Um, well, if you're Bob, Bob is my mom for anybody who uh, is listening and doesn't know, Bob would dump the pools four times a day, um, to make sure that the water is very crisp and clean. Um, so if you've ever raised a duck or a goose, even a chicken, I mean, they're dirty and they poop a lot and that's just kind of the nature. That's just the name of the game. Um, specifically waterfowl, they poop a lot when they swim. Um, and so the water gets really mucky and dirty in the summer. Um, cause the coop is very close to our house. We have very easy access to water. 
yeah, I will give them a fresh pools every single day. Um, you know, every situation will be a little bit different. Are you on well water or city water or whatever, but, and right now, and I guess even backing up, I'll give them a fresh pool and their maintenance, you know, is maybe 10 minutes a day or something like that to give them water and make sure that they're good to go in about less than less than 10 minutes. took me 10 minutes to fill up the pools and about one minute, those pools will be very, very dirty. So it's kind of just understand. You just have to kind of um, grapple with that. You have to just understand that they're going to get in there and they're going to make it yeah. messy. Okay. But for you permaculture lovers out there, that's gooseaponics is what it's been dubbed by somebody that I know. You can take that water mm-hmm. because that water has now been fertilized from the droppings of the yeast and it's in a form that doesn't need to break down. I know it sounds gross, but you can dump that water on your garden and it's readily absorbed by soil. And so it's literally liquid fertilizer. Yep. So you can quote unquote, reuse that water and use it to your advantage or have it put a drain on it. I've seen people on YouTube, they put it like a permanent little drain fixture in their bottom of the kiddie pool, set it up high and they put a pipe underneath there that goes to the garden. And then you don't even need to dump it. You just like reach your hand in there, pull out that drain plug. Well, and we have that. We built one last year um, or kind of like constructed one last year out of an old um, like minnow stock tank. So it's much deeper than a kiddie pool. Yeah. We cut, off the, cut off the top, built like a ramp. Um, I can show photos of it. And, and yeah, Casey installed um, a drain. And so it doesn't, it doesn't go directly into the garden. When we do dump the kiddie pools, it goes straight into the garden. Um, and we do utilize that. It is, it's gross, but that's what compost is. You yeah, all like. it's, it's I mean, nature. It, yes. Yes. And it is good for your um, crops, but yeah, there's, you could get really creative with it. Um, and and whatnot, but it, it it also doesn't have to be fancy. Yeah, they do need. I would venture to say that they they do need a kiddie pool. I mean, you can you raise ducks and geese without ever having a pool. Ugh. I mean, my gut my gut really wants to say no. I mean, you yes, you can. They're not going to be happy though. Like if you've ever, I mean, the second we fill up those pools. All of them are in there splashing around, having a good time. They really need it for their health. They need yeah. it to preen. They need it to stay clean. Um, well, they're waterfowl, right? They're meant to. They're meant to be in the water. But you don't have to have a natural, you know, big pond or stream or anything like that. Kitty pools will work just fine. It takes me no time to um, fill them up. Another thing, though, to kind of mention about the water, and another reason why they need the water is it's easier for them to breed in the water. Especially for these heavy, um, heavyweight, I wanted to say heavyweight champions. I don't know why that just kind of like <laughs> came to my, came to my head, but heavy champions, that's fine. Yeah. heavy. Well, they, they feel like champions when they, when they're breeding, trust me, their attitudes. Um, but it's easier for them. I mean, if we just want like a five second anatomy le- lesson, you know, one's on top of the other and it is easier for those heavy set birds when they're kind of quote unquote floating. Um, it helps also with fertility. Um, it, it, it's, it's almost like they're meant to be in the water. They're meant to do all of these things in the water. And so then we take them out of the water and make them like land animals. And they're kind of just like fumbling around sometimes. So we, I, always make sure we have deep pools right now. I truthfully believe it helps with fertility. And how do you keep them thawed in the winter? 
So, well, I mean, we don't have pools unless it's above freezing, but thankfully, um, you, we, we will have at least four ish days a week by this time of year that it will get dip below freezing overnight. Um, but during the day I'm able to fill up the pools. Yeah. So our situation um, is similar with the stream, right? Cause we get, it does get cold and while it's less likely it does freeze, the ducks or the geese just don't swim that day, but they always have access to at least two gallon deep buckets because of those nares, their nostrils. They do need to blow those out. Yeah. Yeah. So it's feasible. I mean, it, and if we, I don't know if we want to touch any more on housing, obviously it's, I don't want to say it's um, obvious, but you know, it should be, they need, they need somewhere to get out of the elements, all types of elements, you know, Angelo touched on locking them in because you know, we do, a lot of folks will raise them, um, as kind of guardians for your smaller birds. Um, but they can't take on something that's bigger than them. They're, they're really like alert dogs, if you will, like they're going to just like alert you to a problem. They're not necessarily going to fix that problem. Um, so they need protection as well from, from that, from predators, from the elements, um, bedding. I mean, a lot of, a lot of different bedding choices. Everybody has their own personal preference. Um, I will say that like wood shavings or, you know, like the, you shouldn't use cedar, um, especially in your brooders with goslings. Um, it can be toxic in a way, but just like your, your horse bedding or something like that, that you'll find that pretty much every feed store across the United States or the world, though it's not absorbent. Um, but neither really is straw. Um, and so it's just a situation where you're going to have to be cleaning a little bit more. Their droppings don't compost as well, um, as say your chicken droppings. Uh, they're just, it's wetter. They're waterfowl. So, I mean, they consume a ton of water, thus they produce a lot of water in their droppings. And they sleep on the ground, no roost bars. They sleep yes. on the ground and they nest on the ground. So you can mm. do a nest box, but it would be a ground nest box. They may or may not use it. Usually during breeding season, honestly, they're wandering around like truly, honestly, they just, they wander around like lost souls and they look for a spot on the farm to lay their nest because they have no idea where they want to go until all of a sudden it's like this egg's coming out of LA somewhere and then they're making a nest. And, and then that's just where they find stay. It. And it's like, oh my gosh, last year we had a goose and she decided this is where I'm going to lay. And it was not under any shelter. I tried to move the eggs. She refused. She kept going back to the same spot. And, um, she ended up hatching them out, but we had to like put a tarp over this area and like make it, I mean, it was the ugliest thing ever, but I mean, Hey, I would do anything for those, those animals. But before we even, I know this, we've tons of information and we're going to have a lot of this, um, in show notes and we're always here to, um, to help, but I want to touch before we sign off just on the few health concerns, you know, a lot, you know, if, if you're doing your research before you bring any animal home or anything like that, you kind of just need to know um, or be prepared for a few things that you might see. So as with anything, there's a whole host 
of things that could happen. We talked about in our first season, the triage episode, just kind of like being prepared um, because you will see some of these things. You will not probably see all of them. They're certainly not all going to come at the same time or anything like that. So this is not to scare you away. Um, We talked about Bumblefoot in the first season. Um, You will see that from time to time, potentially with your geese. Um, that's probably the the biggest thing we did talk a little bit when we talked about their nutrition, um, like leg issues, stunted growth, splay leg type of, of things, but you can really, if you support them well with their nutrition, you shouldn't actually see those types of issues. Uh, another, another thing that I think is more common or I guess commonly diagnosed angel wing, um, it's hard to describe, um, like a droopy like, wing yeah yeah it's kind of like I, I'm I'm motioning but you all can't see me but it's kind of just like the wing just like, like kind of like falls down and they can't hold it up um yeah like droopy like they drag yeah again that's associated mostly with dietary issues so can be uh rectified um with with diet um, and you're going to see that mostly in young goslings. It's going to be before they're like three or four months old. So once they've hit that, you know, mile marker, if you will, you're, you're typically not going to see it. it um, and it's, it's not like, uh, you know, deadly, but um, it, they're like lopsided. <laughs> Yeah. So those are, those are probably the main things. And then of course you see maybe like coccidia, which is an intestinal parasite, things like that, but we don't need to get into all those nitty gritty things. I mean, we can potentially put, there are some resources that you, you know, obviously can, can find online and there are avian veterinarians and all that. So we're not going to get into that full nitty gritty. I don't know. I think that we hopefully have covered most of the things why you want to bring geese home, why they're important for a homestead. Um, there are many different functions and, you know, they're, you know, basic housing, nutritional needs. Yeah. I think that we've definitely, hopefully provided you with information that you're looking for to be armed with getting into goose keeping. As always, we are available through direct message on Instagram. You can email us, check out the show notes, check out the breeding chart. That's going to be helpful. And uh, don't be afraid of getting geese. They are wonderful animals. They can do a lot for your farm. Absolutely. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Homestead Education Podcast. Any relevant material will be put in the show notes. We hope you'll share our episodes and also click that subscribe button. For more information about this podcast, you can visit us on Instagram at Homestead Education Podcast. Angela can be found online at axeandroothomestead.com and on Instagram at axeandroothomestead. Mandy can also be found online at thefarmermandy.com and on Instagram at Wild Oak Farms. We'll see you next time.